0: Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Strong Dads Community. I'm your host, Charlie Ford. This podcast is part of Thumos, a community optimizing men for growth, purpose, and impact. You can find us on most social media platforms under the handle Strong Dads Community. You can also check us out at strongdadscommunity.com. Thank you all for listening today. I hope the parallels in these stories encourage you to realize your own potential. Today, we have a husband and father of two boys and he's also the founder of Manhood Tribes. So we're going to dig into that today, and hopefully learn a little bit more about Manhood Tribes. Everyone, he's the man, the myth, and the legend in the making, Mr. Don Ross. Welcome to the show, Don. <laughs> How are you, man?
1: Thank you, Charlie. Hey, man, I'm I'm really glad to be here today. Uh, that incredible introduction. I'm not sure that I live up to status in anyone's eyes except maybe my own so thanks for that
0: (laughs) hey man we're it's it's in the making that's what i like to remind people yeah we're all we're all legends in the making um so don uh manhood tribes before before we jump into that because we're gonna gonna dive pretty deep into that let's talk a little bit about you man you've got two boys Uh, tell us a little bit about your status uh you know how long you've been married uh how old are your boys yeah
1: uh, I've been married uh, coming up on twenty years here. Uh, my wife's name is Courtney. We live in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. My boys are fifteen and thirteen, and they are uh, you know both um, wonderful and challenging as uh, teenagers are uh, and uh, yeah man we um, we've got a good life, you know I, I love my wife, I love my kids. Um, we're doing well here in North Carolina, and uh, things are good. But I I grew up, um, I'm originally from the South. I actually grew up in Mississippi. Uh, My wife grew up in Alabama. And uh, we met after college uh, through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. We were both on staff with that for a little while. And kind of bounced around the Southeast for quite a bit, uh, doing different forms of ministry, parachurch, church work, you know, all, all kinds of things um, moved out to Colorado for a little while, came back to the South. Now we're in North Carolina. So we, we've, uh, we've bounced around a bunch. Um, but yeah, man, it's been a really good journey. It's been a, a cool opportunity, um, to just do life in some really different ways and learn to be a man, learn to be a, a husband and a dad. Um, and yeah, it's been great.
0: Wow. So you met your wife in college,
1: uh, after college actually. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't know each other
0: until after uh, okay. What did you when would you specialize in college that was uh related to the ministry that you did?
1: No, so I uh I went to Ole Miss. Uh, I'm proud Ole Miss grad. Uh, uh nice. As of this recording, we just lost a uh, a really tough game to Georgia. It was disappointing <laughs> for us, but you know, uh it is what it is. Um but uh so went to Ole Miss, got involved in a, a ministry there while I was uh, there in college, and it was through that that I decided to, um, I was actually planning on being a doctor when I went to college. Um, and so I was kind of on the pre-med track for a while, did that, and uh, Jesus got a hold of my life in some ways that I wasn't expecting. And uh, kind of began to realize in college that what I actually really loved doing was Uh, Just talking to other people about Jesus. And I was trying to, as I was in college, sort of figure out, how could I do that in the medical field? Like, how how could I use, you know, being a doctor uh, to be able to do that? And um, I think that's a perfectly fine thing to do. But it it became more and more clear as I was asking that question. It's like, maybe the point isn't to do it as a doctor. Uh, and so I really had to, you know, do some exploring around, okay, what is it that God wants for me? What's, what's he kind of built me to do? And, um, yeah, that passion for, uh, talking to people and telling people about Jesus, um, just kept bubbling up. And so I finally had to say, okay, this is, this is something I need to explore and figure out. And so I decided to take the leap into this, you know, into doing this kind of college ministry thing for a while and just absolutely loved it. And I've I've never
0: left ministry since. Oh, that is interesting uh did your were your parents into ministry or or did they have a background in in this or
1: no so i you know I grew up in a church um but I would say that you know, our family's faith was um we kind of had a what I would call a sunday faith you know we we went to church most sundays um but you know the extent that we talked about anything related to faith you know kind of lived and died on sunday, and you know the rest of the week was uh filled with the pursuit of the American dream you know it was uh be successful through education and um you know raise raise your ceiling in every way possible and uh you know so go on and do something that way Uh, my dad actually was in the golf industry my mom had been a, a teacher and then a homemaker um and so yeah you know there was there was no plan or foresight about ministry at all nothing that i think any of us would have imagined and uh yeah so that was a that was a pretty big shift
0: did you, uh, was there an incident or something that occurred in college that that caused you to start realizing that, or was it uh, a period of time? Was there an influence, a person?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I would say it was, it was all of the above, honestly. Um, it was a, it was a slow process for me of, like I said, kind of coming to the realization of maybe this is what God has for my life. And I think some of it was that, you know, like I said, I was planning on being a doctor and so I was pre-med for uh, the you know, majority of my time in college, as you have to be if you're going to plan on being, you know, going to med school. And so when I um, when I took the, the big test that you have to take to get into med school, it's called the MCAT. I took that, I think, my junior year in college. And when I got through that and had done well enough to, you know, probably get into med school, I think is when I, I sort of like actually was able to start to kind of come up for air. And even kind of begin to even ask the question, is it really what I want to do with my life? <laughs> you know, I had been so tunnel vision on got to make the grades. I got to take the right courses. I got to have all the right activities. I got to do well on this big test. You know, it was just it was just tunnel vision to be able to get through all the things. And then when I had gotten through them and done okay, you know, then I was actually kind of asking myself, is this even what I want to do? And uh, it was about that time, too, that I went to a uh, a conference that was with the ministry that I was involved in. And I heard the speaker say something along the lines of, God will never call you to do something that you're capable of doing on your own. And that statement just, I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks, because I was really wrestling at that point in time, like, is, is medicine the right thing for me? Should I look at going into ministry? And when I thought about medicine, like as much as I wanted to try to figure out a way to use that for godly ends. And I I think there are plenty of ways to do that. And I know really good doctors who do that with their career. And I think that's a fantastic thing. But for me, what I knew in that about, you know, God will never call you to do something that you're capable of doing on your own medicine for me was exactly that. You know, it was all about my intelligence, my achievements, you know, my abilities uh, you know, all the things that like I could and had been doing by myself for my whole life. And I just realized like, like, okay, taking a self-oriented career and trying to shift it to being God-oriented was really the the wrong way for me to try to go about that. I I needed to actually step into something that was bigger and, you know, beyond me in order to try to Uh, live out what I think God was calling me to. And so for me, that was like, hey, okay, at least initially I need to try this ministry thing out. Um, And I did and I loved it. And I'm glad I made that choice.
0: Good for you. I I think about people uh, just in general, you're in a college curriculum, you're doing some courses. And I would think that the most natural response for yourself would be that you're too far in, you're too deep. You've already invested so much time why would you change? And for you to actually not only recognize that this might not be for you after putting all that time and effort into it, and then making that change, uh, you you weren't only aware, but you actually took action, which is is impressive. And uh, it just yeah. goes to show yeah. the, you know, the power and the forces that were driving you. Was that was there anyone in particular, like a mentor or a model that that you looked at and said, "Man, this is this is the person." that uh, I could actually model myself after? Uh,
1: I don't know that I had one person in particular uh, that that was the case. I had a few different voices who probably helped influence me there. Uh, A couple had been, uh, you know, I had a a college minister that I was working with, you know, that I was involved in this ministry with that was helpful in helping me just kind of think about, you know, life choices and life direction and all that. Uh, My uh, youth pastor when I was in high school, um had then become a, a you know a college pastor at my church back home uh, and continues to remain a, a pretty big influence on my life um you know he was just helpful in in knowing me and helping me kind of sort myself out and my own thoughts through that process um and then i had a couple other people who i just met with one ironically enough was uh was actually the dean of the medical school where i was applying um and he had been a, a a Baptist missionary at one point in time. And so he was actually kind of a really good person to talk to, to be able to say like, Hey, give me, you know, give me some insight on the best of both worlds. And what would I be getting into one place versus the next? Uh, And, and he had some really good perspective on just like trying to figure out how to make that decision. Um, He was really helpful in that regard. And somebody that I was able to connect with, uh, you know, a a decade or so later as well, um, after having kind of walked down that path and um he said to me at that point in time he was like i'm pretty sure in that conversation that you already knew what the decision was that you wanted to make you just needed somebody (laughs) to be able to affirm it for you and i think he was right like i I knew in my heart that was you know that god was really kind of leading me there and that was what my passion was even kind of directing me into was was pursuing ministry. um i think just because i had had you know such tunnel vision for so long i mean really from all the way back in like you know early in high school Uh, it, it was a hard decision to let go of, you know, to actually be able to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a radical change of course here. And, uh, that was hard for me to do. It was really hard for my family to accept that I was doing. Um, and you know, but it was, you know, looking back, it was the right thing. Um, it just, you know, it, it took, uh, it took a lot of faith and a lot of courage to be able to kind of step into
0: it. Yeah. I was just about to ask, what was the reaction of your parents? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, it was, it was rough. Uh, and, you know, uh, in light of the fact that I imagine at least one of my parents probably listened to this podcast, I'll be gracious and say, uh, it was rough, <laughs> you know, it, it it was a tough season, I think, for all of us. Um, and uh, to their credit, though, they did a lot of exploring on, you know, what I was actually getting into, uh, they actually went and visited the headquarters of the ministry that I had joined and tried to really learn more about it and find out more about it. Um, and I would say like through a combination of both their own effort of trying to learn more and just, I think the Lord working on their hearts, uh, they did a pretty significant 180, and really kind of not just came around, but, um, you know, really kind of came on board as full supporters of what I was doing. And so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a challenging season for us as a family, for sure, but it ended up being a really good thing. I think for all of us,
0: you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a reminder for me, um, as a father, I So uh, it's so tempting as a parent to to uh, have expectations for your kids. You have it. You you know, you know, you're thinking about the world, you're thinking about how to prepare them and everything that you want to do for them in life. And there's so much control of that, that you feel like you have. And for your parents to see you going into being a doctor and, and in their mind that, that it's manifesting as, Oh, everything's going to be fine for him and in, in, in life, yeah. he's going to have a good life. Uh-huh. And then for you to switch careers, I can't help but think that fear sets in and they're and you just, you, you haven't seen that path, you know, as a parent, you haven't seen that yeah. path. You haven't seen where they're going to head and that can be scary. And, uh, yeah. but it's just so cool to hear now we're hearing about you now. And, uh, and what you've created from this in setting your own path and going your own direction. And, uh, that's just so interesting. And it's a reminder for parents out there that, uh, wow. I mean, what, the expectations that you have set are, uh, almost bound to change. So, yeah, a hundred percent. So do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother.
1: Uh, uh-huh. Okay, He's and, a couple years younger than me and and he actually uh lives in the same Raleigh, North Carolina area. My whole family's actually moved all out here, so it's fun to kind of have everybody together.
0: Oh, that's cool. And did it was he as uh, reactionary to your change in plans or did he care?
1: No, I, you know, at the time he was still in college and I think trying to find his own way as well. Um but uh he had gotten involved in a a ministry as well and was I think you know really supportive of what I was doing, but you know, also didn't have to, um, you know, it, it wasn't going to affect him or his uh, reputation or the way that people looked at him or thought about him the way that it was my parents. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think he had to face the same challenges with that decision as, as my parents did.
0: Okay. And how long before um, you started Manhood Tribes, were you doing this ministry, the ministry piece? Or are you still doing that?
1: Uh, No, so I I did that uh, college ministry for about seven years, I think, somewhere around there. Um, And, you know, uh, as an organization is a fairly new thing. I've just started it within about the last 18 months. Um, But in terms of the things that I have done that have led up to starting the organization, you know, just working with men uh, in pretty much every setting I've been in. 20 years. Um, a lot of that began during my time in that college ministry. You know, I would say in pretty much every setting I've been in, whether that was college ministry, uh, you know, when I was in graduate school, um, I've worked at several different churches and, uh, and maybe only in one of those places was it actually my job to, uh, to be doing, you know, ministry directly with men, you know, some kind of like official men's ministry. Um, think in every setting, I have kind of gravitated towards that on my own, you know, trying to just pursue uh, how to be able to have an impact on men's lives, how to help them, you know, figure the faith as men, uh, what that means, what that looks like, Um, especially uh, for me, how to really do uh, how to do your faith in community with other men. You know, it's a big belief of mine that men need a group of men around them. And, uh, and so I, you know, looking at kind of, Building that you know trial and error style in a whole bunch of different settings and different ways um, like I said for about the past 20 years and so manhood tribes has really kind of been born out of that of, of how to help men follow Jesus in community with other men
0: uh, that's a great segue uh, so, so I guess now let's dive in why uh, see why did you focus your area on men and what is manhood tribes yeah
1: so manhood tribes just at, at, a, at a basic is an organization. Or kind of a movement of men that's dedicated to creating groups of manly men who follow Jesus at every stage of life. So my goal and my hope really is to just be able to provide men, you know, whatever age they are, whatever stage of life they're in, with a a, a method and a mechanism for being able to surround themselves with other men who can help them be better at being a man and be better at following Jesus. And uh, so you know, th- those things are those are all passions of mine. Uh, you know, manhood. Uh, community with other men, following Jesus as a man, you know, and so I've tried to just figure out how do I combine them and, and help other men be able to do the same. But I think for me, Charlie, like that, that passion is really born out of my own story, you know, so, so for me, my, uh, my story as a man, which I think is, you know, the more, the more that I hear men's stories, uh, I think my story as a man is not all that uncommon for guys, you know, my age and in my stage of life, In my mid 40s now you know kind of on the uh the the borderline between gen x and millennials and i think that i think from us in that uh of of manhood we grew up at a time where our dads you know who were for the most part in the baby boomer generation you know their idea of manhood was just kind of being a provider you know it really meant like creating a family structure where they existed to provide the means for the family to thrive and that, that was really kind of the whole of what you know man was about for them and so you know uh, that was true in my home you know my, my dad was uh, he's a very good man um i would say he was physically present but not always relationally or emotionally present to the rest of the family um but i think that's what he was taught to do as a man you know i think he was doing that really well and just that's kind of how he understood what his role was um but what i think that you know did me personally, and what I've seen it do to a lot of other men uh, my age, you know, kind of in our generation, and especially in this younger generation, too, uh, is it it just left a bunch of holes, you know, it left a bunch of kind of empty places where as a man, I was really kind of wondering and questioning, what does it mean to be a man? Am I a man? How would I know if I am one? Um, and I, I think some really just, you know, kind of sense of deficiency around like, okay, I see what it meant for my dad to be a man, like, I see what it meant for him to be a provider, and, you know, to to kind of be present in sort of like keeping and holding a family together. But I also knew that that, you know, it just wasn't enough. It hadn't been enough for me. And, I, you know, but I wasn't sure what else there was. Like, I, I just didn't know or really understand what more there, you know, was to being a man. Um, and at the same time, you know, having kind of grown up in the faith community and really, you know, gotten more involved in the faith community as I got older, I looked around in that setting and felt like what I was hearing from the faith community about being a man was to just be a good husband and a good father. Well, at that point in time in my life, I was neither of those things yet. And so, you know, I just, I was kind of left with still just a lot of questions, you know, like, okay, being a good husband and a good father is important. And I knew that those were things that I wanted to do one day and to be able to do them well. But that wasn't happening yet. And I, I kind of sensed that like, those weren't the answers to the questions that I was asking, you know, the questions that I were asking had more to do with what does it mean to be a man? And how do I know if I am one, like how how do I know if I have achieved or arrived at that place and, you know, being a good father while important, I I didn't think was really, you know, that wasn't going to solve my kind of inner angst, (laughs) you know, of what was going on there. Mm So, um, I I had to, you know, I had to do a lot of both kind of like soul searching, you know, just kind of internal searching, dealing a lot with my own past, uh, dealing a lot with, uh, you know, the kind of the internal questions that I was asking. What I was looking for in my relationship with God, uh, you know, what it looked like to uh, have other men in my life and how to be able to, uh, you know, like relate to other men well. Um, But I had to do a lot of research, too. I mean, I did a lot of. This a season in my life when I did a lot of reading, a lot of question asking, a lot of exploring, a lot of just trying to find out, like, what do other people think being a man is all about? You know, where does that idea come from? Um. So yeah, so you know, it was kind of from a lot of those things that a lot of those early ideas got born out. And as I was, you know, quote unquote researching, which you know, as often as not, just meant like sitting down for you know lunch with another guy, sometimes sometimes older than me. And just asking questions you know that that was my version of research um you know what i came (laughs) to find out was uh okay i'm not the only guy who's dealing with this you know and and not just guys my age but guys at every age you know we didn't talk about it a whole lot with each other but there were a lot of men who were wrestling with the very same questions that i was wrestling with and didn't feel like they had answers either and were doing their best to just kind of like Fake it until you make it, you know, just like I'm going to show up the best way that I know how. And but in the meantime, I've got all these real deep insecurities that I don't know what to do with. And so it's usually just easiest if I pretend like those aren't there. And, you know, I um, I'm not very content with pretending. (laughs) So, you know, just I think that's part of the way that God has wired me and, and, and probably, you know, intentionally. So I think it's led me down the path that I'm on um but for me that just wasn't satisfactory you know i wasn't going to say okay i'm just going to pretend like i wanted to understand what it meant to be a man and to firmly believe that i was one and to be able to live that out and i wasn't going to settle for less than that and so it was uh yeah it was kind of that like inner drive and just kind of deep-seated questioning that pushed me to say i gotta figure these things out and then as i began to figure them out it was a matter of okay i can see that there's a whole lot of guys around me who need the same help i needed so what can I do to help? And that's really, you know, how all of these things kind of get birth. And then really where Manhood Tribes has kind of come from is just after, you know, a decade plus of working with other men and uh, and, you know, helping in different situations and settings. And now trying to actually kind of put it into sort of a formalized something, you know, that uh, that, that I can do on a, on a broader basis than, you know, just the,
0: the individual lives that I can touch personally. That is neat, man. Thank you for explaining that. And as you mentioned, like just being a man in the vision for being a man, um, when you talk about that, what do you mean by having a clear vision of being a man? Yeah.
1: So, uh, this is such a good question and it's, it's such a huge question in our culture right now, right? Because, uh, manhood has never been more Confusing, I think, in our culture than it currently is at the moment. Ask ten people what does it mean to be a man. You're going to get 15 different answers. <laughs> you know, it is <laughs> it is not clear at all. You know what it means to be a man, or even is it good to be a man? Do we need men in our? You know, there is so much that that is that is hard to figure out. So I think. This question of what does it mean to be a man, it, it is so necessary right now that we have some sense of that. And so for me, when I started looking into this, there were, you know, kind of a bunch of different answers that I, I found and sort of went through or different ways that different people had tried to answer that question. And, you know, some of it was. uh helpful at all when you know, when i was looking into things the culture hadn't yet hadn't gotten yet to the place of using the term toxic masculinity um but that idea was ha, was and kind of always has been around you know we might have called it uh, machismo or you know bro culture or some things like that um but you know the idea of uh you know equating manhood with just like having big muscles and you know driving fancy cars and getting in as many women And like that, you know, that idea of manhood has kind of always been around. Um, But, you know, I think anybody who is seriously asking the question um, can tell pretty, pretty quickly that that's about as shallow answers you can get. You know, there's nothing really satisfactory there. So, you know, I had to kind of take those same answers and just say uh, there's maybe some good here. Like there's some because this answer seems to surface all the time, uh, even though it's always considered a bad answer you know, it's a, it's a regular answer. So there's something in those things that does appeal to men, even if it's appealing in some wrong ways. Uh, so, you know, I kind of had to hang on to that thread and just sort of look at some different answers. And so I started seeing things like, you know, ways that guys would define manhood around like roles of being a husband and a father or being a protector and a provider or, you know, like that. Um, I saw some answers around, you know, uh, different virtues for what it meant to be a good man, you know, ways to live as a, man and you know some of that up now and the kind of resurgence of teaching and how that's kind of gotten a lot of interest in the manhood now um but you know the what i tended to see was that those ideas you know those virtues uh changed from culture to culture and at different times in history they weren't always the same and so what i was really looking for was kind of an answer that said this is what it kind of almost always looks like to be a man in any history and any culture you know, these were the things that men have in common in lots of places. And so for me, what I've, you know, I'm kind of teasing it out. So I'll I'll cut the long story short. But what I really landed on are um, what I saw to be common traits among men in lots of different places. And they're what I call the five marks of manhood. And they are strength, courage, skill, honor, and allegiance. And I looked at those five things and could kind of see like, You know this is what it looked like like for men to live out what it meant to be a man they were exhibiting these traits in their life now sometimes they were exhibiting them in really good ways sometimes they were exhibiting them in really not so good ways uh but whether or not you were a good man or a bad man didn't take away from the fact that this is what manliness looks like you know Mm. to, to be a man demonstrates these things um and now how you live those things out you know can be different from one culture to the next but um, you know, you're not questioning anybody's manhood as long as, you know, those things are in place. So strength, curve, honor, allegiance, that's what I call the five marks of manhood. And I think if you can get a real clear idea of what those things are and and how to practice them, then, uh, you know, a clear vision of manhood isn't that hard, you know, and I think that's, I think that was kind of, you know, a filter for me all along the way was just sort of like, you know, the idea of like, uh, half of the world's population throughout history has been male you know it it shouldn't be that hard for us to figure out what it means to be a man you know <laughs> most, <laughs> most cultures have been able to do it pretty yeah. easily you know so like why are we wrestling with difficulty um so you know I, that's where i just kind of said th- this should be a pretty simple list you know it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that hard to figure out um and that's what i like about some marks of manhood is that It is simple. It's pretty straightforward. And, uh, you know, I can look at those things and go, yeah, those things are attainable. And that's the way that manhood should feel to most men.
0: You know, that's a beautiful thing because we, yeah, what you've mentioned as the five marks of manhood are timeless, right? Um, as you say, not really affected by, um, the, the nuances of the current culture and and whatnot. And it's just so neat because, uh, you know, they carry on through the times and, and uh, when, I, when I look at that, I, I really like the list, by the way. I, that's, this is my first time seeing that list. Strength, courage, skill, honor, and allegiance. Um, yeah. h- how do you differentiate between courage and honor?
1: Yeah. Okay. Good question. So uh, I'll, I'll answer the question a little more broadly, and I think it'll help you some. So I would consider the first three marks, strength, courage, and skill, to be individual marks of manhood. And what I mean by that is that those are things that any man can kind of develop on his own, you know, in a little bit of a sense, in a vacuum. You can work on those aspects of yourself by yourself. But when it comes to honor and allegiance, those two things are inherently relational. You have to have people around you in order to be able to exhibit honor and allegiance. And honor in particular, uh, I think where this gets a little more challenging is that in our culture today, we tend to use the word honor in a way that means something more like integrity, or you know virtue you know when we talk about like he's an honorable man usually we yeah. mean like you know he's a stand up dude um you know he's got admirable character qualities but honor the way that i'm using it is really kind of the older idea of the word and uh, and it's still used this way in, in a lot of cultures around the world today um but it's the idea that you are doing right by your peers essentially is, is that's what it means so you've got a group of people around you you know from typically a group of men around you and you worthy of their honor because you are upholding some sense of shared values that all of you hold together so i'm doing things that these men consider honorable and so therefore i have honor so again it is inherently relational without group of men around me that share my values, I can't have honor. I have to receive honor from other people in order to be able to have it. Uh, So, you know, that's the way that it works. Honor's, you know, very big in the military community. Um, You know, this is something that I think comes really naturally for those guys uh, to understand kind of that concept. But for the rest of us, you know, especially for men these days where we don't really tend to live in relationship very much at all with other men around us, the idea of honor has kind of gotten just reduced to You know, can I be a a virtuous person or have integrity as a person? And that's not really what it means. It means, can I do right by the people around me? And, you know, that's where it really kind of comes down to, you know, this is this is where uh, you start to get into the idea of what does it mean to be a good man versus a bad man? Honor Mm. helps really kind of show that to us because honor by itself is a is a morally neutral trait. Okay, having honor doesn't make you bad uh it's what you're receiving honor for that makes you good or bad you know so if you're among a group of you know uh hoodlums hoodlums and thugs you know who uphold uh mistreating people and stealing people and you know well, kind of being extreme here but just to illustrate the point you know right. if the things that your group of, of guys holds in high esteem are not good things you could have a lot of honor with that group of men but you're not a good person you know you're not doing good Um, so you're, you're maybe morally bad, even if you're exhibiting a lot of honor among the group of people that you run with. Um, so this is why it's so important, you know, especially uh, as a dad, you know, working with, uh, you know, with my sons, um, for any dad working with their kids, helping them understand the concept of, it is so important, the friends that you choose, uh, because the, the group that you are around is who you're going to tend to develop honor with. And as long as those people are, are upholding really good values, that's an absolutely great thing. When those values start to slip uh what's what's not going to change is your friends what's going to change is you you know you're going to decide to i want to keep my honor with my friends but that's going to mean i'm going to compromise on the choices that i'm making as an individual
0: um Mm. and that gets really dangerous Mm, absolutely Well, i I really like this perspective of honor because that's why i asked you originally what the difference is between courage and honor because i thought of honor as integrity and uh i love this perspective of honor and in and how does that go along with allegiance? Yep.
1: So if honor is about our like horizontal relationships, right? How we do right by our peers, allegiance is about our vertical relationships. So allegiance means I am in authority under someone. And the reason that this is a mark of manhood is that um traditionally throughout you know most cultures and most of history, man's allegiance has not only shaped the course of his life, but it typically shapes the course of his family's life as well. So whoever a man is giving his allegiance to, you know, which might have been, you know, a lord or a chief or, uh, you know, a commander or, you know, in our day and age, a boss or a company, um, you know, that shapes a lot of that man's life. And it's also going to shape, you know, his family's life as well, because it dictates you know the status that he's able to achieve, the lifestyle he can live, the um, accessibility that he has to his family. You know all those kinds of things um, affect a lot of the world around him. Um, so that's kind of the like immediate side of allegiance, like who am I, you know, immediately in authority under. But there's there's an ultimate side to allegiance as well. Uh, which is, you know, who is the, the God that I'm following or what is the code that I follow that kind of dictates all of my life? You know, what is sort of the ordering principle of my whole life? You know, that I'm saying, this is, this is how I think about and make decisions at the end of the day, this is the kind of man that I want to be. This is what I'm giving my allegiance to. Um, you know, uh, I said another way, like what sits on the throne of my life?
0: Um, so is you know, is allegiance? Uh, would would you say that's synonymous with uh, like your morality? Uh,
1: so I think allegiance. Uh, you know, morality. I think goes both with honor and allegiance. So who you're choosing to receive honor from, and where you're choosing to give your allegiance, are going to dictate your morality, right? So they're going to determine for you what are the things that I consider good, and uh, and am I actually living that way? You know, not just mm. like you know, this is what is supposed to be good, but I'm out here, you know, doing my own thing, um, which is that's for honor and allegiance and the competition with each other. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely influences the way that you consider morality.
0: Mm, excellent. And you've also got, uh, you've also started uh, a rite of passage type thing within manhood tribes, correct? With, uh, yeah, that's sons right. involved.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So, um, So, you know, starting with these kind of marks of manhood, I got to a place uh, as a dad, you know, when my sons were hitting uh, about, I'd say probably about age 10. And, you know, the the internal clock for me kind of started ticking of realizing, hey, the the season is coming in their lives when they are going to start out of boyhood and begin manhood. And I really want to do that season well for them. I want to help them be able to make that transition well. Um, but when I looked around at like how to do that, <laughs> there was nothing. You know, there was there was <laughs> I, I had no clue, you know, just no idea of kind of how to make that happen for them. You know, I've got this desire. I know I've got some things that I want to try to pass on to my sons, but I've got no framework for how to actually do that you know in a way that's going to work because i know if i just start dumping stuff on my kids you know they're just going to look at me with uh eyes rolling and you know accusations of dad lecturing and everything um so you know i was trying to figure out like what can i do to actually help pass manhood to my sons um and when they're hungry for it but that they're acting you know in a way that they're actually going to receive it um So that's where, you know, these five marks of manhood actually kind of helped me sort of start getting down a track of what to do there. And so I created something called First Tribe. Um, It is it's a uh, nine month rite of passage program uh, that helps a group of dads usher their sons into young manhood. And it is for sons who are kind of in that like middle school stage of life, you know, about age 11 to 15 ish, somewhere in that range um you know kind of right around puberty the the age when when boys are really starting to kind of get an itch for being a man you know pulling away from mom's world a little bit trying to enter more into dad's world um really being friends with other boys you know just all that kind of stuff tends to happen around that age um and so yeah so i you know i started taking these five marks of manhood and and what i began to see was uh during this stage there's there's few things that a boy needs in order to become a man one is you know kind of like we talked about he needs a clear vision of what it means to be a man Uh, and the five marks of manhood helped me to be able to kind of have that for my sons Uh, but the second is that he needs opportunities to actually practice being a man and so you know this is i think the harder one i think this tended to probably occur more naturally in our culture even just a couple generations ago Um, where boys were forced to do things in our culture that pushed them a little harder into manhood. Um, You know, where if you wanted to go on a date with a girl, you had to actually, you know, things like that. Um, That's totally different era, uh, you know, where everything is done digitally. Right. Um, And so, you know, there's just like simple things like that that just don't happen the way that they used to. And so it's, it's really easy for a, a boy to kind of grow up, but never actually be challenged to be a man. And so that's what I think this is about. And so, you know, the way that I try to pursue this with my sons is to, we actually create these things that we call manhoods, which are just basically, let's take those five marks of manhood and let's figure out one that we want to get better at. You know, maybe we, we want to get better at uh, strength. And so we want to design a manhood challenge that's going to push us a little bit in the area of strength. So, you know, that could be anything from like, hey, we want to, uh get faster at running a mile so we're going to test ourselves in you know what's our mile time uh, right now and then and over the course of the next month we're going to you know try to run two to three times a week and by the end of the month you know see how much better we can get retest ourselves at the end of the month and and see how much we've improved you know just a simple way to try to be able to say you can with a little bit of effort actually improve at being a man and and here's some easy ways to do that um so i started creating these manhood challenges and then i began to realize like This is a part of what my sons actually need to be able to advance into manhood, and so that's where the third step of kind of what I talk about there is that sons need a dedicated season to advance from boyhood to manhood, and so that's really what First Drive is about. It's a it's a rite of passage. It's a nine month season, and during that season we do all those kinds of things. We uh, you know we create manhood challenges where um, you know the guys have different things where they've got to kind of test themselves and see if they can sort of rise to the occasion of uh, of passing some of these manhood tests. Um, But we also do a lot of uh, discussion, you know, as a group, as a group of dads and sons, we talk about the really significant things, you know, going on in their lives and, you know, what it's going to look like for them to have to uh, be responsible, as a man, what it's going to look like uh, to have to figure out how to offer, you know, to know what their strengths are and offer them to the world. Um, We talk about what it looks like to be a son and how important that is, not only in this stage, but for the whole course of their lives, that being a son is something that never changes. Uh, We talk Mm -hmm. about how to relate to women. We talk about, uh, you know, how to stand up and have courage in difficult situations. We talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus as a man uh, and how to do that. So, you know, all these kinds of things that we want to pass on to our sons. um, There's lots of opportunities to do that, but we're doing that through the context of, you know, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to follow Jesus as a man? And how do you do that in a context of other men? And so that's really, that's why it's called first tribe. Is that because, you know, for this group of young sons, it's probably their first tribe of men to be a part of, um, but we don't want it to be their last. You know, we want them to learn that the way that you live out in manhood in the context of other men. And this is just the opportunity to get started with that.
0: And your sons, uh, 15 and 13, have they given you any feedback? on, uh, on these, on these five marks of manhood and the things that you've, you know, the opportunities yeah. that you've given them.
1: Yeah. So I've taken both of them, uh, with, you know, a group of dads and sons, um, through first tribe, you know, separately from each other. So both of them have gotten the opportunity to go to it, go through friends, um, uh, and, uh, and they both loved it. You know, it, it was a fantastic experience for them. Um, but also for us, you know, For my relationship with them, um, it was really just tremendous. But I think, you know, I both, two things in particular that they really loved about it. Uh, One, they loved the manhood challenges, they loved, you know, all the different like things they were kind of challenged, and forced to do, uh, uh, all the different skills that they got to learn, um, you know, different, just, it was just a lot of fun, you know, and, and at this age, that's exactly what it needs to be. They need to have fun learning to be a man, and uh, and that that's that's okay. That's totally age appropriate. Um, I would say at any age, that's still appropriate, but, you know, as, as we men get older, we tend to um, throw fun out the window a little bit, Oh, yeah. And the boys are still at the age where they're not ready for that. So, um, you know, there's got to be a lot of fun. And I think the manhood challenges provide that while at the same time actually challenging them. And that's been that was really good. Um, but the second thing that I think they both would say, you know, that I heard from both of them was that they really loved doing it with their friends. And uh, I think this is what's really critical. And what even what some kind of like other, you know, Father, son, or rite of passage ceremony kind of things miss out on in our day and age right now is that they're so just focused on the relationship between dad and son. And that's really important. I don't in any way want to negate that, you know, and that's a big part of what First Tribe is. Um, But, you know, what allowed my sons, I think, to really be able to get the most out of this season and to not only enjoy it, but to be able to open up about things that were really going on in their lives while being able to talk friends about it and hear their friends share similar things to what they were dealing with. And it just, you know, in the same way that it does for us as, as grown men, when we hear that we're not alone, it it takes the walls down in our life. You know, it allows us to actually be able to be honest and to say, I'm dealing with that too, or that's going on in my world as well, or that's really hard for me as well. Um, and so for our, you know, for my sons, like being around their friends, and I, I think for both of them, you know, kind of at that like 13 age, really probably for the first time having like real conversations with their friends, you know, where they're they're talking about something other than just, you know, whatever team sport they're on together or whatever video game they're playing, like, but actually talking about real things that are going on with them and the challenges they're facing in the day-to-day, you know, world. Um, that, was, that was an eye-opener, you know? And for them, it was uh, a really incredible way to be able to say, this is something good and this is something that I want. Um, and I think it accomplishes the goal of, you know, initiating our sons into manhood because they feel welcomed into a community of men and not just like they've gotten their shoulder tapped by their dads, which is cool, um, but not the same thing as kind of being invited into the community of manhood around them where they feel welcome and accepted by other men, not just by their dad, you know, really, really important.
0: Mm. And uh, I'm very curious, have you gotten your dad involved with this or have you circled back with your dad about this?
1: That's a great question. I haven't yet, although we we have done some things uh, with him and my sons together. Um, but no, I did not get him involved in the tribe aspect of it.
0: OK. All right. And uh, uh, so, so another question here with um, with everything that you've mentioned with manhood tribes and with this, the, the first tribe, what in your mind is in jeopardy if we don't have this?
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think we can see it in our culture already. You know, it is, uh, the reality that we are raising a generation of boys who aren't really growing up into manhood. You know, they're, they're obviously growing up, uh, in the like physiological sense, you know, their bodies are maturing as males, but they aren't really growing up into manhood. And because of that, you, you know, you got a lot of, and and in terms of like, uh, and syndrome you know you've got a lot of boys who are walking around in men's bodies and they uh they don't really know how to encounter the world and deal with the real challenges and hardships that they're facing there because they haven't been in any way challenged and prepared to do it when they were younger you know mm. this whole season of a boy's life is being able to and we talk about this in uh, this boy's life. It's really about learning this kind of settled confidence that says, I have what it takes to face whatever the world throws at me. And necessarily based in like, I know how to do everything there is to do because no man is going to know that. That's not possible. But it, it comes with this settled confidence of I've faced enough challenges and figured out how to overcome enough things that no matter what the world throws at me, I can figure something out. I may not know exactly what to do, but I'll know how to do something, or I'll have some other men around me that I can ask, how do I face this? Or, you know, I'll have at least enough of a head start somewhere to be, dip my toes in and start to figure it out. Uh, that That's kind of what we're aiming for in terms of, you know, advancing from boyhood to manhood. And if you don't get that, you just show up into the world as an adult uh, with little ability to actually navigate life. And, and that's what we're seeing, you know, from a, a whole generation of young men right now who are, you know, not to, to over caricature it, but, you know, the way it gets kind of talked about, like locked away in their parents' basements playing video games. Um, that's not every young man. But I think that caricature is appropriate in the sense that, it, you know, it paints a picture of a young man who um, doesn't have a sense of independence yet. You know, he's not capable or comfortable being able to actually live and survive on his own. He, he hasn't developed a life in the real world. You know, his, his world is largely digital um, and his, his physical realm is largely confined to his home, which isn't actually his home, you know, it's somebody else's. Um, and so he's he's not figured out how to exist and thrive in the real world and how to navigate in the, that in a way that he is functional and effective and actually doing well. And that's what I think all of us as parents want for our boys, you know, whether you're coming from a faith background or not, all of us want that, you know, for our kids, for them to be able to successfully navigate the world and thrive in it. And, uh, if we don't help our boys be able to enter into manhood in this way, uh, they're just, we're setting them up for failure. You know, we're setting them up to not actually be able to exist in the world. Well,
0: you know, Don, you bring up so many great points here. And as you mentioned, the, the stereotypical, you know, boy in a basement playing video games you know, for parents out there that, that actually have that, you know, as their case right now, uh, do you think it's yeah. too late? And what would you recommend or piece of advice would you give to them?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And I would say, uh, no, it is never too late. Now, I would say, uh, you know, all I would say this because all boys crave initiation in no matter what age you're at. And so if you didn't get it during that, you know, school age range which is when i think it's really meant to happen Um, if you didn't get that uh, or if you're looking at your son and can realize he didn't get that uh, it's not too late to help him achieve that now what it does mean is that uh especially if you know if i'm talking to a dad here um, you know it does you're gonna have to go back and do some work to repair and probably apologize for not giving him what he needed during the season that he needed it in in order to be able to open a door so that you could give it to him now, you know, so that you could kind of step in and be invited into his world to say, I, hey, I, I realize I, I failed you. You know, I, I did not do some things that you needed me to do in the season that you really needed me, but I want to do my best to try to offer that to you now. And if you'll let me, uh, I'd love to enter your world and try to help with it. Um, I think another way that a dad can go about that is to say, hey, are there some other men that I could uh, do this with you, you know, like guys your age, guys my age, you know, are there other ways that we could go about too painful to just do dad and son? Um, You know, I think involving other men that maybe that son respects, uh, you know, whether that's mentor figures or friends or peers, um, those could be ways that, you know, a dad might be invited into his son's life to be able to continue. to offer that so i think it's just kind of being aware of your son you know uh your son is looking for it whether or not he uh, is acknowledging it to you um and it might just be that because he didn't get it from you when he feels like he was supposed to uh he's you know kind of like ruled you out dad as a as a viable option for that um and if you're kind of staring at that saying I, I want to do this right now. I realize I didn't do something right before. Uh, I think it's just a, you know, it takes an act of kind of repentance on your part with your son of, of being able to kind of crack that door back open to create an opportunity there, but it's worth it. You know, it's definitely worth it. Your son needs it and it will strengthen your relationship. Uh, if you can be able to go there with them.
0: Don, that's a great message. Great message. It's never too late. Um, where, where, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So uh, you can find me at our website at manhoodtribes.com. But I would say the easiest way to kind of get started with any of our material actually is uh, if you're a dad, um, I've got a thing called the Dad-Son Challenge. And it's just a list of some of, uh, you know, what I talked about, some of those manhood challenges that you can do with your and these are appropriate at just about any age so you know if your son is as young as probably five or six uh you could do it with him um if your son is a you know grown 20 something these are still things that you could do together so uh it's like 10 challenges that you can do together and uh, kind of work on each of you getting better at b um, you can find that at manhoodtribes.com challenge and uh, that's a great way to get started, and it will get you some further information about things we do with Manhood Tribes. Uh, if you're interested in First Tribe, it'll get you some information about that. Uh, so, yeah, just an easy place to jump in, manhoodtribes.com slash challenge.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Don, and thank you all for listening today. If you like what you've heard, please remember to follow, share, and give us a strong review. If you're a man searching for improvement and growth, be sure to check out strongdadscommunity.com. Don, it has been a real pleasure and uh, got a real good uh, data dump here, man. You you, <laughs> you shared a lot of wisdom on the call today, and I thank you for, uh, for taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Charlie. It's been a real treat for me getting to be here with you.
0: All right, guys. Well, we're out. We'll uh, wrap it up. We'll see you all next time.